When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone, my name is Danilo Petrovic. I'm Ilya Marchenko. I'm Janis Kuda. I'm Evgeny Donskoy. I'm Henry Laksan. I'm Peter Turepko and you're listening to the Game to Love podcast. Ah, welcome back, everybody. Here we are. Um, we're uh, just sort of fresh after the Australian Open. It's all sort of calming down a little bit. So we thought we'd come back and discuss a little bit of Novak Djokovic and his incredible 18th Grand Slam. Uh, we've joined with a special guest on this uh, Game to Love podcast. It is John Silk. Welcome, John. Hey, Thanks for having me on. From a clap. Hey. <laughs> Thanks so, for John, looking, looking forward to this. No problem, mate. Uh, did you want to uh, let us know? Obviously, we know you as a, a sort of journalist. You do a lot of different sports, things like that. Uh, working for, I don't know if I'm going to get the name right. I know it as DW.com, but you'll probably tell us the correct pronunciation of the actual, <laughs> the actual <laughs> company. Yeah, it's uh, Deutsche Welle. So it's Germany's public broadcaster. Um, I mainly focus on news for them. But uh, I've written books on, on sport, and I do dabble in a bit of tennis journalism from time to time. Normally, I tend to, if I do stuff at, at Deutsche Welle, I tend to do, like, tennis news stories. So whether it be Greta Thunberg and Roger Federer arguing about ecology um, or the, the ATP sort of fallout a bit last year with the with the Djokovic sort of threatening to break away, which is still sort of brewing. I tend to, if I do do tennis, it does tend to be a bit more news-related rather than the sport itself, but it's a sport that I've been following and loving for 35 years. Yeah, and you mentioned you love the sport. Obviously, we've seen you on the Game to Love chat here and there. Big Game to Love fan, hopefully. Um, what sort of got you into liking tennis? And it must be so nice to have a job where you can combine a passion um with with actually making money as well yeah i mean i think as a kid you sort of if you have a big sports interest whether it be tennis or football or whatever in the uk 
your sort of first ambition is to become a tennis player or to become a footballer mm. or rugby player. And then when you realise that that isn't going to happen... Cause yeah, that's how me and Ben started off. Both <laughs> wanted to be tennis players and now we're here, <laughs> drinking beer, exactly. Uh, exactly. talking about it instead. Exactly. I mean, one of when I, when I was playing tennis as a, as a teenager, uh, I found that I had one or two weaknesses. My serve wasn't really good enough. My volleying was so-so. So was my backhand. And before I realised it, basically that meant I wasn't very good at tennis. Um, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> basically, my, my forehand was okay, but that was about it. So then you just go to the next best thing, which is talking about it, writing about it, chatting to your mates in the pub. And in a way, that's a bit like it is going to be this evening, I think. Yeah, exactly right, man. And that's what we try and bring to our uh, viewers. We try and bring a sort of relaxed uh, view, sort of how myself and JG wanted to, uh, well, the reason we wanted to start it. We, I love the Peter Crouch podcast and just how relaxed that type of thing is. It's all about football, obviously. I also like the Soccer AM sort of vibe where you've just got a lot of... Uh, there's no comedy in in with your uh, in with the sport as well. So just want to just be able to relax, pretend that like you're down the pub, and you can just have a chat about tennis and have a big argument about who you think's best. Because yeah, that's all we ever do. I mean, I'm sure you've probably been in many of them as much as me and him have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's I, I, I like your style. I like the way it is. Um, you manage to sort of fuse expertise, interest, passion, knowledge. Uh, with a little bit of humour and beer. That's yeah, it, and talking about beer, what, what, what beer are you drinking today? So I have a, a German beer, given that I'm living in Germany, it would be a crime not to, and it's one called Storterbecher, and it's named after a German pirate, basically, that got his head chopped off. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So cheers. Well, my one doesn't have such a great story. It's just a Heineken, and um, it's one of the <laughs> cheapest ones on sale at the shop. So there you go, look. It's a good go-to beer, Heineken. Yeah, it's a good one. Good one for the green screen as well. It just disappears in your hand. Uh, I'm just on the standard Doody Stellas. Uh, I know that Thomas Rock normally, uh, he's uh, one of the biggest uh, fans of the channel. He he likes seeing me rocking the uh, nice Stella Artois. So nice. always have to do him proud. I'd, I'd like to ask you both a question, if that's all right. Sure. I know you're probably more used to asking your guest questions, but I think with tennis in particular, you can sort of get an idea about someone's age, someone's interest and stuff by asking them who was the sort of first Wimbledon winner when they were growing up. So, Ben, I'll start with you. Who was who was your first Wimbledon memory or Wimbledon winner? Well, for me, uh, I've said it many times on the podcast, but I was more around the Agassi and the uh, Sampras era. Sampras, probably my favourite player of okay. all time. I'd say. I mean, it's it's tough to say whether he would have been beating some of the players that are around these days, but just that era of tennis, Sampras and his style of play, just it was just what I knew from when I was just younger. Obviously, he won multiple Wimbledon titles, and when you're young and you're British and all you ever know really is grass court tennis, Pete Sampras was at the top of the game, really. And, uh, yeah, he was just all over your TV screen, so he was just instant go-to, Pete Sampras, with his big like slam dunking smashes and just big serving volleying just all round game really just great player and just obviously the big rug hairy chest every time <laughs> he took it he did a changeover which is always funny to see don't get many of them these days no you don't no what about you jg well with me you'll probably be able to tell from my age by my answer really um and that is gonna be 
the one and only Roger Federer, really. Growing up, okay. he was the man at Wimbledon, just seeing him dominate, really. He was so good there. Uh, so many brilliant memories watching him on the, on the screen. It was always like, um, I remember at school time, I used to watch it during school. Um, and it was always like a big hope. Oh, can we see an English guy do well? Never happened. So I feel like most mm. people just in England supported Roger Federer because he was like the the favourite going into a lot of the Wimbledons. And uh, a lot of people were just sort of willing him always to win. The Wimbledon crowd, they clap him as if he is British, to be fair. Um, and yeah, for me, he is my memory of like, he is Mr Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, funny enough, you talk about British players. Yeah, I guess from kind of 2001 onwards until Murray probably, well, Michael sort of yeah. came along in the mid-2000s, but um, probably wasn't really a threat until the latter sort of part of the decade. There was that sort of five years, I guess, post-Henman and pre-Murray where yeah. there really was no British threat on, no. on the men's or the women's, of course. No. And I think that's the sort of period where I was really sort of getting to like love tennis. And that's when really... If there's no one else really to support, obviously there's other players, but it was just Federer. He was the he was the one who it was hard to go against. And then later on, it was more like a, people used to love Songa as well at Wimbledon. Uh, mm-hmm. He always brought a mm-hmm. big thing, and then obviously Djokovic as well. What he's done there, uh, that's so in recent years. So JG, how did you sort of move towards becoming an Adal fan? Because um, confession <laughs> time, I'm also an Adal fan, so I hope it doesn't become too biased this evening. Oh, that's interesting. Uh... But how how did you sort of so you sort of remember Federer? Maybe he was sort of one of your early sort of memories. How did you transition to to becoming an Adal fan? This is weird. I feel like <laughs> this is. I thought it's weird. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the so no, I like it. I like it. But I just wasn't ready for this. Um, how did, it was to be fair in England. You'll know ITV Four. They have a lot of coverage of Roland Garros and the French Open. So. Yeah. Like, it was just always on the TV as well, as long with Wimbledon, which on BBC. And I remember just always really fa- being fascinated by the clay courts. Um, okay. Never played on one, even now. Never played on one, okay. which is, like, super disappointing for me. And then Rafa Nadal, he's just always been the guy on the clay courts of Roland Garros. If, you, if you've watched a lot of that tournament, and I love the, the intensity of it in terms of it. It was always, like, a bit of a battle and, like, a mental sort of game rather than the other tournaments. I know they all are. I feel like it's more of a slogging fight on the clay. And I just love the I just love the dynamic of it. And with Rafa as well, he's just a bit of an idol. Then when I was a bit older as well, I went to the ATP finals. I remember watching him there. Okay. Um and just seeing him in person. Just I don't know, just always just he sort of mesmerized me with his play. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, giving giving away my age now, uh, <laughs> when I was growing up, the first Wimbledon champion I remember was uh, Boris Becker. So, I mean, 85, 86, they were sort of the first. I mean, we're all from, all three of us are from the UK. So apologies to our international audience who have more interest maybe in Australia or the French or, or, or New York in terms of majors. But really, you know, the, for the first sort of five or 10 years of being interested in tennis, for most British people, it is just Wimbledon. And so as a result, yeah. Becker was this sort of guy from nowhere um, he was popular. He was charismatic. He would be flying around the court. He spoke good English. And, of course, we see him now and hear him a lot more uh, on, on BBC TV. But, yeah. You know, and so when it was him and Edberg, I was always on, on Becker's side. And, and, mm. and he was the main one. Um, there were some great women's tennis around at the time, some great women's finals. You know, Sabatini, Graf. Uh, obviously yeah. was the, the main one. She sort of took over from Navratilova at the time I was getting into to tennis, we I remember probably possibly the most vivid 
um, you know, Wimbledon final from growing up, I was now a teenager, would be the Novotna uh, Graf final, mm-hmm. where Novotna sadly um, blows a uh, two-break lead, I think she had in the, in the third set, and uh, ends up crying, of course, and there's, there's the royal family, you know, trying to console her. And this was a, a, a very strong image, I would say, for British sport, in a way, in, in the 90s. Yeah. And unfortunately, Novotna obviously went on to go and win Wimbledon, which was just great for her and, and, and great for tennis. And then moving on through Henman, Henman was really mm. the, the hope. I don't know if you, you sort of were on the Henman bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, definitely I was. I was totally, uh, every year it would come round and you were just hoping, every single year you were just hope, hope, hope. And we only got those semifinals. Then we have the one that we all know, the famous rain delay against Goran Ivanisevic when obviously it's the big story was Ivanisevic really winning the whole thing but that was his chance really for Henman and he was looking so good and then the rain delay completely screwed him there was no roof then they had to play it the next day and then Ivanisevic came back playing so much better again wiped him off the court possibly Possibly with tennis more than any other sport, I would say. Uh, I mean, I'm someone who's passionate about many different sports, but but tennis is up there. And I think momentum is is so mm. crucial in, in tennis. We, yeah. You know, uh, we've we saw it with Nadal Tsitsipas last week. Once once the momentum swung in Tsitsipas's direction, and and Nadal seemed to lose a bit of confidence, and Tsitsipas was just everything he hit was turning to gold. And we see it so much, particularly when the two players are quite level in, in terms of abilities, if you like. Um, and that, that semi-final between Ivan Isovic and, um, and Henman, for those that are listening and watching that, that aren't aware, was, was basically pretty much going Henman's way. Uh, one-way traffic would be an exaggeration. I think it was two sets no. to one. When, two sets to rain, one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when the rain hit. So, but Henman's on top, and, and, and Henman is, you know, within touching distance of the final. Rain comes along, <laughs> and yeah, there we go. Cursed by his own weather from his own <laughs> country. It's difficult, really, mate. It's always going to happen with a British guy. Um, but one thing I want to ask you, John, is actually on the subject of momentum. You were talking about it there and how important it is in tennis, more so than other sports. With yeah. tennis, what is your attitude on the use of medical timeouts? Um in certain situations, <laughs> medical timeouts. Some people. No, 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 I'm just. I'm interested in what John thinks. There's a lot of people. They'll uh, players. They'll sort of put forward a medical timeout when there's a lot of questions about their injury. Um, are they injured? It's not, I'm not talking about. I'm talking about multiple players here. A lot has we been done for many we saw years. Two, didn't we? we? Saw two recently yeah. in the recent tournament. We had the Shapovalov one. Uh, one of the worst against Sinner helped him win. And then we had Carolina, was it Mukova against Ashley Party? Yeah. She took one and she was a set and a breakdown. And then she suddenly came back and won after that. So and the and weirdest no... thing with that one, she didn't yeah. disclose any information as to what was going on. Like usually there has to be some kind of, oh, it's my ankle. Oh, it's my knee. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I feel dizzy. I've got nausea or something. Nothing. Just completely nothing. It's very rare you see that. She comes yeah. back on court, crushes a daisy, wipes it. <laughs> oh, I'm into the semis. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, uh, having watched Sinner and um, Shapovalov with you guys as, with a watch along, uh, you know, I had it on, on the TV, but uh, I was tuning into you guys. So I know exactly where JG stands on all of this. Oh, yeah. I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> I think it was, was it, it was Shapovalov. Shapovalov yeah, it was Shapovalov. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So listen, um, this will probably be a nice segue into Djokovic because not just injuries in the match, but also post-match. 
Um, and I commented on this with a friend of mine who's a, a, a passing tennis fan, if you like, and just trying to talk about the comparisons between tennis and other sports where there's this cloak and dagger element to to injuries and secrecy and not wanting to reveal too much and then starting to make out things about how it's a private issue and yeah sure it's we get that when it's when mm. it's your child who's, who's got a particular illness that's fine but we're talking about co- competition here where you're using it to your advantage or disadvantage as, as the case. i believe so that was azarenka was it not azarenka come out and she yeah. said after the thing i don't want to talk about my i don't want to talk about my uh, issues what's going on it's a private thing Right, well, Djokovic said something similar, I think, as well. And there was a really nauseous question he got from a Serbian journalist, which went along the lines of, listen, Novak, uh, we all think that that this is your issue. It's it's a private matter, and and we understand that. Don't you agree, Novak? And Novak went, yeah, that's exactly what I think. (laughs) But um, it it was a really, yeah. uh, uh, Anyway, but the point is that, that, that when you start using it for a competitive advantage, well... Then we're playing a slightly different game there. We're not talking about a sick teenager or or even a particular injury that might cause embarrassment. We're now talking about competition. And and in tennis, unlike many other sports, you can use an injury to your advantage because it's going in your opponent's head. You, your opponent's thinking, OK, he's, he's struggling a bit, so I'm going to change my game. I'm not going to play as aggressively. Maybe I'm going to go more to that side. So... Coming back to your point about um, taking a break, yeah, players do use it to their advantage and probably some do it unfairly and, and more so than, than they should. Um, but I guess you've also got to deal with it as, as the opponent. And, and so I'm, I'm on the, sitting on the fence there a bit, but I do find it frustrating and I do think that, that certain players are doing it. I mean, I don't know if you remember that interview with Roddick from about 15 years ago where um, where he's talking about Djokovic's injuries and he's, he's yes. listing all these different symptoms and injuries that Djokovic supposedly has. So regarding regarding Djokovic, it's something that's been following him for 15 years. And I think there's a, there's a reason for that. Um, but um, let's, let's also put some good light on, on Djokovic and his injuries. He does still prevail. Um, and I and I think I think the injuries are real. I just wonder if they're as bad. I mean, he said he had a tear. I, I'm still not sure. He then mm. said in his he said in his interview after the Aussie Open win, he said it'll all come out in the documentary. Well, the documentary is a Novak Djokovic production that's going to be producers and everybody <laughs> at, at his behest. So I don't think we're going to get a true. Uh, it's not going to be you know uh, an undercover thing where we're actually going to find something out. It's going to be very much favourable to to Djokovic, as interesting oh, sure. as it may be. So, yeah, I don't know if that's... I have kind of sat on the fence, Genji. I do think tennis players do use it. I do think it's a bit naughty. But, you know, everyone's going to try and gain every advantage they possibly can. Do you think it's uh, similar? Because I think uh, it's such a difficult thing to sort of jump on the back of certain players and it can be the same thing well, you can't police it can you you can't be like oh you've been doing that you're faking it what can you do you can't do anything though. this is what i was going to use the comparison is if your team is uh gonna win the champions league and then one goes in the area and gets a little tap on the leg and goes Aye! and falls down in the box you go yeah that was a penalty and you argue to the end of time to the other fans he got touched and that's a penalty but if you're on the other end that was never a penalty he's cheating but it's the same thing in this respect. If you support Djokovic, you'll be like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. He's, he might actually be injured. Whereas if you're against him, he's a complete faker and he's using it and he's breaking the rules. So it's just, 
it's just the six of one half a dozen of the other for me i don't know whether i'm i don't really have that much of a problem with it because everyone can do it if you want to disrupt him back do it back to him i don't yeah. know i just I, I i do think that that's a really interesting comparison with, with football to some extent because Actually, I think that now with this Djokovic, Federer and Nadal, particularly Djokovic and, and, and the other two, if you like, um, given yeah. the romance there is between Rafa and, 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 and Roger. <laughs> Fed but it, but he, he, Yeah, Fedhal, exactly. Even the fans probably don't go at each other, those two, so much. They sort of aim most of their eye towards Djokovic. But I've noticed that with this, this sort of three, more than ever in, in my lifetime, at least, of watching tennis, that uh, fans are more ardent. Than, than ever, that it has almost come into that sort of team and identity thing. You know, if if, yeah. if you're from a Balkan country, by the way, they are quite united in their support for uh, Djokovic. You know, so the, yeah. the Bosnians are on board and and the, and the Croats are on board as well. Um, surprisingly, given their some of the let's call it rivalry between the countries, if you like. Yes. When it comes, to, you know, when it comes to football as well, they they want to beat each other. But but actually, they're all on board with with Djokovic. And by the way, it doesn't matter if it comes to opinions on vaccination. Or, or, or a herbal diet, or, or winning Wimbledon, they will back their man, and 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 arguably so will Spanish fans and, and, and fans of Nadal and, and, and Federer too, and and it has become a bit more tribal, I think, in the last ten years. Oh, uh, with these three, yeah, it definitely has. I know it's just one of those things you take your pick and uh, pick at your own peril. I think. I think that's why Ben gets criticised a lot on the podcast because everyone's always going at him in the chat saying, who's the guy you support? Who's the one you support? When Ben yeah. generally doesn't have one who he looks at and yeah. thinks, I really feel a connection to. He yeah, sees it exactly. with a level playing field. I try and see from that perspective too, but they're always going to have some Rafa glasses on. Yeah. To a certain you, level. Yeah. I try not to, but I always will. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean... Um, I'm going to heap praise on Djokovic at various points today, so um, and, and it's impossible not to after nine. No, for sure. Uh, everyone has to. Let's talk about let's talk about that. Let's talk about Australia because obviously sure. he's just been there, just won his ninth one. That's eighteen Grand Slams now. Um, coming into the tournament, he was the favourite. However, people saying Medvedev can really challenge him. I for one, one of the first people to say I thought Medvedev was going to win this whole tournament from the beginning. Going into the final, I still thought he was going to win. Um, just wasn't just wasn't to be. Com- completely got obliterated in the final. His journey towards the final wasn't straightforward. There was times where yeah. he's going to a fifth set. He looks down and out. He looks injured. He's struggling. But what a fighter and what a tennis player to be able to. When the chips are down at times, he just plays his best tennis. We keep saying it time and time again. Me and Ben. If he's under a bad situation, thirty or is facing break points, match points, break points, whatever it is, big serve, big unreturnable one. Um, he's just unbelievable, the guy, and uh, you can't admire his greatness right now. You've got no, you've got to admire his greatness. I mean, <laughs> yeah, have to, mate. I mean, those those three that we we talk about day in day out, day out. Um, I do think he's got um something that the other two, and and, and particularly Nadal, don't have, which I think is um this ability to get round problems, the ability to get over a problem either during a tournament or during a match. Um, and, and, you know, I've already, you know, uh, said that I'm a Nadal fan, but something with, with Nadal is there can sometimes be a narrative about the speed of the balls or the, the roof being on or not being on or, or a certain tweak with an injury and, and, and Nadal likes to have this or even just a flow of tournaments in 2019 
when he lost to Djokovic in that final, and he was beaten up badly in that final, that, you know, the Nadal fans and even the Nadal the narrative was that he, he, he sort of went into that tournament without too much match practice and that he was fit by the final, but he hadn't been tested enough. And there's often something, there's often, but he got thrashed at the end of the day in that, in that final. And so with Djokovic, you can have, issues with 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 his fitness with with form and, and and so many other variables and so i think this is where when it comes to the grand slam race this is where djokovic has an advantage particularly over nadal and say that the variables he can he can negotiate them he will find a way out of trouble he will find a way round a problem particularly on the on any surface that isn't clay anyway he will often find the solution that's not to say that, that Nadal hasn't done an amazing job and, and obviously Federer have too. And, and I think Nadal has changed his game a bit. But we saw at this tournament with, with Djokovic, yep. his, serve, his serve is better today than at any point in his career. Yeah. And yep. It's an unbelievable improvement. Aces, most of the tournament. And uh, I think it was just like credit to him, really. He's the one of these players, uh, like you were sort of alluding to with uh, Federer and Nadal, He's one of these players that he can win playing badly uh, more than what they can. I think that he can dig out a win, whereas if Nadal has an off day, you sort of just see everything sort of just starts unraveling pretty quickly and you just think, oh, it's just one of those days Nadal had a bit of a bad day. But Djokovic, if he has a bad day, you see him really just digs in. He becomes the wall all of a sudden and then he it's up to the other person to beat him rather than him wiping them off the court. They wipe themselves off the court a lot of the time. So I think he just has that in his locker. Like he, he has something else they don't, which is this just, I don't know, it's just like this inbuilt, I don't know if it's this Eastern European will and like desire and fight. They have so much grit and determination to get stuff over the line. And I just think that he has that in abundance. And I just, I think that is what's going to take him past them and their Grand Slam titles, to be honest. Mm. JT wants to say something. Go on. <laughs> no, I need to. I need to just divulge everything Ben's saying right now. But for me, I think you've just got to look at it from the perspective that it depends what we're sort of defining here. We just not talk about greatness because if you're looking at greatness for me, I think they have a lot more variables than just statistics. Yeah. For me, I want to look at someone who I enjoy watching and I watch their style of play, and it's the most fascinating, uh, beautiful yeah. version of them of the game. A bit like Barcelona when they were playing so well, winning Champions League, Champions League. The style of play, they wasn't just winning, they was winning beautifully. And for me, that, that holds some regard more than just winning. Yep. If you look yep. at Djokovic, he can win ugly. You look at Nadal, he can win beautifully. I'll tell you what, when he's hitting <laughs> them winners and he's yeah, whipping yeah. them from left to right, no one can do that. Federer can as well. It's just a, more of a thing of beauty for me. Uh, and I admire that a lot in both of them which something Novak Djokovic has not been able to do, really, in my opinion. For me, it's, it's, it's a bit more than beauty, JG. It's also um, take the breath away moments yeah, where you just go, oh, my goodness. You tell him, John. I, what, have I, what have I just seen? What have I just seen? Did I really see that? Yeah. And I do think in a, in a, in a top, top-level match, you know, Wimbledon finals, semifinals, or, or slam finals and semifinals, you do get more of those, oh, my goodness, moments with, with Nadal and Federer than you do Djokovic. That's not to say yeah. that he doesn't do an unbelievable return of serve like he did on, yeah, yeah. on Federer in that semifinal, I think, when Federer was a bit bitter after that semifinal. He just, well, he had nothing to lose. Do you remember that in the US Open? about eight, nine years ago, I think it was. So he does take so. the breath away as well. And, he, and, and there's a lot to admire. And I think with Djokovic, again, regarding the final on, on Sunday, 
it wasn't quite take the breath away moments, but he was hitting that bass line so often, oh. such frequency. Uh, it, it was insane, and it was constantly a, a, a difficulty. So we would see a, a maybe an un, what we would class as unforced error from Jocker, from from Medvedev, but it was kind of forced. It, it kind of was. They're not really unforced errors. Who's to define sometimes what even is an unforced error? I sort of Med- kind of find that a bit well, perplexing. Mate, Medvedev as well, wouldn't he? Medvedev. Sorry, mate, you go on. Yeah, you know that um, this unforced error is literally a person deciding, uh, so it is subjective. (laughs) Most other things in tennis, you know, are fairly black and white. Yeah. see the stats throughout the match. But this unforced error is literally just somebody going, yeah, that's an unforced error, or that isn't. It really is as as basic as that. Sorry, Yeah, I was going to say, I totally agree with you, because we all know Daniel Medvedev around the court he is one of the fastest. He can get to everything, and he can get everything back in play. And you just—it was just testament to Djokovic, I think, that final that he outworked Daniel Medvedev. He made him run so much and was scampering around the court that he was hitting on forced errors. I don't think you can say they're all Medvedev's fault. He, his backhand, Djokovic is just probably the best in the game. He creates any angle he wants with it. He can put it down the line. He can put it short. He. And everything just seemed to be going right for him in that final. He seemed like he he wasn't hitting it with everything, but he was hitting it with just enough to push it into the right places. And Medvedev didn't seem to have the answers. And as soon as the mental side went, you saw that he started smashing his racket, he was looking up in the crowd, and that's it. You know you're done. If you do that against Djokovic, you're done. You can't show that weakness. I thought Djokovic was incredible. It's, this is one of the best versions of Djokovic we've seen, to be honest. And the reason I think it's really scary really scary is the fact that the way he's serving now is probably one of the best <laughs> yeah. I've seen as well. So if you talk about how important serving is to longevity in tennis, it's probably one of the mm-hmm. biggest things. If you're serving well, you can play for many years to come, which yeah. sort of leads nicely into talking about the Grand Slam race. Obviously, right now you've got number one, joint number one, uh, Roger and Rafa, both 20 Grand Slams. Djokovic, 18 now, so only two behind. It's a matter of time, isn't it, before Djokovic catches them? Djokovic is probably the favourite right now, but it, it swings and, and moves. I mean, probably a week ago, or eight, nine days ago, when Rafa was looking at a quarterfinal and, and a potential 21st uh, Grand Slam. Um, although, I think, hand on heart, and, and maybe it was the same for you, JG, I never thought Nadal would win the Aussie Open. No, never. Uh, Not for a moment. That. No, and 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 the, there were sort of some sort of tweets and murmurings, and one or two, you know, uh, journalists were talking about it as it as it went into the second week, and one or two people were even saying, you know, positing, why is no one talking about this? Well, the reason. Well, maybe it's a lie. Talking... Maybe it was slightly there. Maybe about five percent. There was a part of but... my mind which thinks he's there. Yeah. You never know what could happen if he loses. If he beats Sitapas comfortably, which he looked like he was, he's going to be quite yeah. fit for this next one. Medvedev could not could struggle with the occasion a little bit, and we saw yeah. Medvedev in the final. At the end of the day, Djokovic was brilliant. But Medvedev, for me, I'm sorry, he kind of did bottle it a bit. I think he's got a lot more higher gears than what he offered. We've seen him play against Djokovic many times before. Um, not not too long ago. ATP finals, beat him, beat him in straight sets. And you can't say that's not a big tournament. I know it's not a grand slam, but we saw a different level to him. We've seen a different level for the last year. In the final, yeah. I was really quite harsh, I feel like, maybe. Maybe a bit too harsh after the match. But there was more disappointment sort of built up inside of me from him. But he's, he's got so many more levels than that, what we saw. 
Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree to some extent. Although, although, like I said, I think Djokovic just forced him into that. But I agree. I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, when he got himself back in the match in the first set, you know, gets it back on serve, gets it to five all. I think he netted uh, one, didn't he? I think that basically cost him the first set. I, he hit one into the net, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, or it, it well, it was at five. Up. It was at six five, wasn't it? For trying to force into the tie break, and it went. I think yeah. it was love forty. The love forty one was a bit suspect. Yeah. Hit the net. Can't yeah. give him. Yeah, you can't give him three break points like, on your but own anyway, set points. Set anyway, points. Back yeah. to the sort of the slam race, you know, and and, and what you were talking about with Nadal, and and and, and uh, you know, I mentioned how people weren't really talking about it. Then one or two people were saying, "Why isn't anyone yeah. talking about it?" Which then made people talk about it in a way. But I, I said, well, quite simply with Nadal, the reason why people are not talking about the 21st slam is, is as Ben sort of mentioned to some extent, um, was that there's so many variables now that need to sort of fall into place for Nadal to win the Australian Open, possibly the US and, and Wimbledon as well. But, but folks, and particularly on the Australian, there's so many things that kind of need to fall into place for Nadal, I think, to get to a final to win. Maybe a slightly more fortunate draw, not coming across a, a red-hot team in the quarters like he did last year, you know, managing to put Pass away. I think he would have been the second favourite against Medvedev in that semi-final. The yeah. way that, the, yeah. you know, Medvedev had beaten him, at the ATP, as you mentioned. In fact, we and both had that semi-final, me and Ben. We both had Medvedev and Nadal reaching there, and we all both had Medvedev reaching the yeah. final. Yeah, right. Uh, although Ben also had um, Dan Evans' dark horse, so I don't know if we could always... <laughs> Yeah, what was that? <laughs> I don't know what I was drinking that day. <laughs> it was but fun. I, was, I, I also had... For... Yeah, but don't forget, I also had Dimitrov knocking out teams, so that's my claim to fame for the Australian Open. <laughs> that's the only one that I can go go home uh, happy with, I think. I don't think anyone I had mean... Aslan Karatsev in the semis, no. though. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true, Aslan. I mean, that's a great story, and and, and he, he did, you know, he did, he did okay in that semi-final. Yeah, he did. Great. He, he, I did uh, well. He, put, he probably pushed him as much as Medvedev did in the final. Argument. More, I think. More, I think. More, yeah. We both said more. Yeah, yeah. So I think so. But, but I... With Nadal, I just think of the Aussie Open, for example. Which probably for Nadal fans, if not Nadal, is the one that we all would quite like him to win because that would give him the, you know, two grand slams at each one. And now that yeah. that that sort of mini race within a race now goes over to Djokovic because hmm. I guarantee you, if you could give Djokovic one slam, it would be the French. Yeah. Uh, for him and his fans, because that really... Then when it gets tight in this race, whether it be 2019, 21, whatever they all end up on, and who knows, they may all end up on 20 or may all end up on 21, um, it'll then start coming down to, well, who got in the most finals? Well, I think most of them are about 28, 29, 30 finals altogether. Yeah. Um, and then it'll be like, well, who's won? What's, what's the, the spread, you know? And if you've got two French in your locker, unlike, you know, Federer's never going to win a second French. I think we all, mm. even the biggest Federer yeah. fans realise that. So, so then it does come down to that. And, um, you know, basically this year and probably next year as well, Djokovic will go into three out of four slams as the favourite. Nadal yes. will go into one, albeit fairly heavy favourite. And that that's probably why many people, including myself right now, are erring towards Djokovic in the slam race. But could you not see it from this perspective, the fact that Rafa, he has that one French Open where he's a very strong, strong favourite. Djokovic may be favourite in the other three, but there's a lot of people along the way who could trouble him. A Dominic yeah. team, a Federer yeah. coming back, um, a Medvedev hitting a bit of form. You never know. Maybe a Rublev if he hits some crazy form, and he's he's only getting better. Rublev for me, uh, it could be a he could be dangerous in one of the hard court of things, especially if he draws in quarterfinals or something. You never know. 
Um, personally, I think it's a big ask for like one of these young guys, but a Dominic team, I don't think he's really that young anymore. And he's certainly, if he's on the <laughs> same side of the draw as Djokovic, I, I fancy him to beat him five times, well, half of the time. At the French Open or the other slams as well? At the other slams. Mm. Um, maybe. I, 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 would say, I would say the French Open, I would give team the, the slight advantage of the French because I think he's, he's built for clay and he's actually adapted very well and got better on the hard courts. I think if it's team versus Djokovic, just like anyone on a hard court, or even... By the way, JG, I've got to pick you up on something regarding team. I think, did I hear somewhere that you were tipping him to win Wimbledon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, just, I said I, stick I with no, it. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. I had to change my thing with this. I spoke to Gil Gross about it, and I, and I was very adamant about the fact that I think he could do it. I've had some time to think about it, and I've not gone for it in my end-of-year predictions. However... Okay. Listen to me now. I still would stand by what I said in terms of the fact that you watch something happen. The guy, you've not seen, he's not, but I, I, we don't know too, I don't know too much about what his form is on grass. I'll be honest. I'm not going to be able to reel off loads of statistics, but I've seen how a clay court, predominantly clay court player has adapted his game to play on the hard courts. I honestly believe that he is someone who he's got the more men, he's got more drive and he works harder than most people on tour. And if he can apply that to say the grass court swing as well, I think he's going to be mm-hmm. dangerous. I really do. I don't see many players who are like really brilliant on grass. Obviously, you've got the ones who we've seen historically. Uh, but I just, I think there's a gap for it. I really do. And I think watch out for Dominic team. Um, I'm going to bring you his... on as well, John. If, if he wins it, I'm going to bring you on for the next <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and, and please That's bring it, me man. on when he goes out in the second round to Aslan. Uh, when he goes out to Aslan in the second round, bring me <laughs> on. Who, who, who if he goes him? out, you won't, you won't be coming on. Didn't he go out in the first round last time, didn't he, to Sam Query? Sam Query, yeah. But... <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Let's I just mean, see, OK? Listen, win- you'll call me crazy. I can't wait for, the, I can't wait for Wimbledon and see what Dominic team's going to be doing. Listen, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit older than you guys, but but I'm, maybe you're very aware of this, that, that winning Wimbledon and, and the French as a, as a double, if you like, in the same year, or even just winning the pair in your career, Sam has never won the French, for example, was kind yeah. of a, you know, from beyond Borg, I think, in the early to mid-80s, until, until I think Nadal... I think no one had won the pair in the same year. I think Nadal in 08 did it, um, and maybe in in 2010 as well. So, But it was kind of like this is just not happening, you know. But I do think the surfaces have changed a bit. We see, you know, Wimbledon in particular. I I don't think Wimbledon, winning Wimbledon from the back of the court, like we see it frequently nowadays, would would be possible in the 90s. That's not to say that these players... I mean, these players are so good, these these three best ones, that I think they yeah. would have adapted and they would have changed their game. And I mean, that's one thing in Nadal's locker, I think, that, that gives him an advantage over almost anyone on the tour, but certainly amongst the big three. He's the best volleyer amongst the big three. Oh, yeah. Easily. Agreed. He's yeah, the best yeah. at the net. His touch is just insane. And even just at the net in general, we saw in that French Open final, Djokovic seemed to be practising the jock, jock shot throughout the entire tournament. And, at the, and, it, and it was kind of just working in terms of the fact he was going over the net in, in the first set. But Nadal was, was quick enough to get there and dink it back over in, in, in an impossible position for Djokovic. That he basically abandoned the tactic, I think, midway through the third set. But by then, the match was gone. Yeah. So, and, and I also heard a great quote from Tony Nadal about I don't know about two years ago, Uncle Tony talking about talk, yeah, talking about um, <laughs> uh, he's talking about team and the threat that team was beginning to pose. And he just said, Listen, uh, yeah, of course, Tony Dahl's biased, but he was saying that that his his nephew, Rafa, that had just so much more variety in his game to, to team. And I even think there's an argument to say 
rougher in terms of the surfaces, in terms of the, 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 the level at each single element of the game. Now that Nadal has improved both his backhand, unbelievable compared to how it was at the beginning of his career, and his serve, that he's probably the most, still the most complete player. But that might not necessarily mean he'll win the most slams. Yeah, I mean, he's, we, we're always singing his praises about his uh, amazing overhead, probably the best out of all of the big, big three yeah. of hitting over. And volley, then in that, volley and an overhead. And then that yeah. sitter pass match, you just saw he hit two that just went awry, and then the whole match unraveled after the overhead went. So that's what we just, we just couldn't believe it. We just thought, this is his bread and butter. This is what we yeah. know him. And as you know, as soon as he misses one of them, I think his whole psyche goes a little bit like, oh, my God, just missed an overhead. Then he missed the I second think, one yeah, did, consecutively. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no, he's not a god right now. This isn't yeah. the same person. Strange. The first one was, the first one was insane um, in terms of him missing it. I, I still can't understand it. Uh, the second one is a bit trickier because it's one of those ones that bounces a bit deeper in the court and he sort of hit, hit it, I think, a couple of centimetres over the, the baseline. But interestingly, he I, I, like, I often like to compare matches that are really similar. And Nadal has now had three... Uh, five setters of really similar nature. Forget the Fognini one because that was just crazy and it was at a yeah. time during yeah. Nadal's lull, if you like. But but he said three tennis matches that are almost identical in so many ways. The Wimbledon final of 08, the US yeah. Open final of 2019, and now that Sitsipas match. Now, I, the Sitsipas match had a different result to the other two, but even in that, even in that match against um, uh, Medvedev, he, he misses an overhead. I think at two sets to love, and he may even have been a break. He was certainly a break up at some point during that third set. Um, and he misses an overhead, and, and you're right, he never misses overheads. And he did lose it mentally for a couple of couple of sets against Medvedev. He fortunately he managed to just about bring it back again for the fifth and the hope. And, and, and I think he was tired as well against um, against Sitsipas. Uh, he was fatigued, yeah. and he, he did cramp up in his press conference afterwards. And I think the mistake he makes on a backhand volley, I think, is in the in the basically the last game of the match where um, where Sitsipas ultimately wraps it up. It's a mistake, and you might think it's pressure, but I think it was fatigue. He let that drop too deep. Mm. He should have hit it a bit earlier. And I do think he was looking a bit tired in that fifth set. And arguably, you should expect that. It's a thirty-five-year-old against a twenty-four-year-old. But then Djokovic, and twenty-two, is, I think. Isn't he? 22, so, sorry. Yeah, months, I think so. he's even younger. That's why it's so crazy. Yeah. That's why it's not that crazy because that's why people, we, we hold the top big three in such high regard that we're talking that it's crazy that he's lost to sit a pass when it really it's not. He's 22-year-old versus a 35-year-old. Eventually, in a fifth set, you've got to favour the 22-year-old. But listen, for, we need to speak about Federer very, very soon because you can't have a Grand Slam race and, and forget him, although it's easy to do so. But regarding Nadal, and, and I think there's a, a concerning statistic for, for fans, as I say, of which I'm one. And I made a note of it the other day, and it's regarding his matches against sort of top eight players over the last six months. Since, since we came back from the, you know, the, the, the tennis lockdown, if you like, in the, he's played um, Schwartzman twice. Uh, these are obviously over different tournaments, some best of threes. He's lost to Schwartzman once and he's beaten him once. He's lost to Zverev. He's lost to Team. He's lost to Medvedev and he's lost to Tsitsipas. Okay, he has beaten Rublev, uh, Djokovic and also Tsitsipas at the World Tour Finals. But basically he's losing about 60% of the of the top eight clashes that he's involved with nowadays over two different surfaces, one indoor, one outdoor as well, including Paris Bursley. So when I looked at his run 
Fognini, Sitsipas, Medvedev, Djokovic, albeit at a slam, but a slam he's only won once. You can see now why many people, including myself, were not really thinking it might happen. Um, just because that's that's the problem I think he has on the hard courts. I don't see him winning another hard court slam, if I'm honest. Oof. Uh, that's, a, that's a call, isn't it? So you're going to have that's to get me on here when, when team wins Wimbledon and, uh, <laughs> and Nadal back to back. I reckon it's going to be in the same year. It could be in the same year. We we'll do it all in one. I would right. be delighted to be on here talking about a Nadal winning the US Open Slam. But I, I, I really don't think. Uh, listen, okay. Here's a here's a couple of things that I've said in the last year or so. When he lost a team in the quarterfinals last year, I told a very good friend of mine who's a huge tennis fan. I said Nadal will not win any more slams apart from the French. And that still holds now, and obviously there's many more years of his career, but I don't think he'll win another slam other than a French. I also said when Federer lost to Djokovic in that final, um, which can then bring us nicely to Federer, I don't think Federer will win any more slams. I think it's too big an ask now. I, 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 hey, we don't know. I could be, as I say, yeah. this, I've, I've nailed my so-and-so to the mask quite a bit this evening on a few things, but I don't see Nadal winning another slam apart from the French, and I don't see Federer winning a slam at all. Well, that opens the doors up mainly for Djokovic then, doesn't it? He's a Wimbledon favourite and he's hardcourt favourite. And for me, uh, the only way that the others grab a slam is if somebody else knocks Djokovic out for them. And that's, that's it. That's right. I think. And that's the that's only right. thing. If he meets them in the final, you've got a Djokovic's favourite every time, isn't it? Unless it's the French Open. That's, that's... You're, not, you're not giving your actual opinion there, Ben, though. You're sitting there top at the top of the screen, looking nice and pretty, but you've not given your prediction who <laughs> you think is going to be the guy, who's going to be the one who's going to end the top of the, the slam record? Well, I said already earlier, I said Djokovic. Djokovic, yeah, for sure. I think Djokovic has already proven... Go on, in give me a number one... then. How many is he going to reach? He's proven in this one tournament alone that this next generation aren't mentally on his level yet, and he's all re- and and he's still improving as well, which is crazy. He serves better than it's ever been before, and he's still the mental giant of the game. He's the most mentally strong player that's possibly ever played the game. So, for me, I reckon he could if he's got what he's, he's Nadal's got two years on him. I think Federer's got what like six years on him. I think it is something like that. Uh, so. I reckon if he goes to the age of maybe 38, let's say, maybe, let's say he gets there without any injuries, he could potentially pick up another like seven Grand Slams, I reckon, Djokovic, I think. that's what I think that's not being too generous. I think that's, in reality, if he picks up another Wimbledon, another Australian Open, he potentially could get another like two or three Australian Opens, I think. Hmm. I'm going. I'm going to say it's probably maybe I'm under. I'm been a bit conservative, but I'm going to go 22, 21, 20. Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, 22, 21, 20. I I wonder um, if the French Open will become such a certainty for Nadal in the years to come. He'll be favourite this year, but I do think I think Rublev may become a threat um, in in the years to come on Sina? play. Sitsipas, Sinner. Um, I think it might be a bit too early for him in the next couple of years. I think the, the Sinner-Nadal uh, thing may just literally be, it's going to be two or three years probably before Sinner is a, a real threat at a slam. So that might yeah. be enough. But So I'm going to say, I mean, it, it, it's almost impossible to predict. I mean, after that French Open final, you were thinking Nadal's favourite. Now it's... it's. Um, I think you've got to look at that French Open final. And for me, 
I am going to be say something silly, probably. I think he's got another three years of winning it at the French Open. Yeah, I really he could do. easily. That, and I can't see why he can't do that. So you had three to it already. That's 23. Djokovic has got to get five to, to I reckon get he could get 25, 23, and then Federer. I would love to see him get one more Wimbledon. Maybe we can have a 21 for Federer. Maybe just that one, and then they're then out. See you later. I mean, 40 I years think old. On the subject of Federer winning another one, I kind of am tending to agree with John. I don't think he's going to win one. However, I, I would, I would, I would not be adverse to him winning a Wimbledon. It would be pretty awesome to see it happen one more time. Um, yeah. Let's see. What Come on, happens. he was he was two points away, or one point away. He was there. It was in his grasp against, and that yeah. was one year ago. One. I say one year ago, two years ago now, really, in theory, about 18 months ago, he was still at the top of the game. He was literally there one point away from beating Novak Djokovic in the final. So I think if he comes back to full fitness and he just just careful with the games that he picks and just goes around the tour and just doesn't overexert himself, just does like the Williams sisters used to do, just go and enter the slams and just go handpick the tournaments you're going to be in around the, around the year. You'd probably be uh, not wearing yourself out too quickly. Get the best out of those older years. By the way, um, I don't know if this is a bit ominous for his rivals, but Djokovic said that he's going to concentrate on the slams more now. So... <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, that's another thing. Let me just clarify one thing, though, quickly, for people listening. I, w- I do want to say, my head is saying, I think Djokovic will be the leader because you've got to be realistic in terms of he's got a lot more options. If I had to yeah. put, say, money on it, if someone said... You've got a lot of risk here. You've got to put loads of money on something. I'm putting it on Novak Djokovic because I'm not an idiot. Uh, however, my heart's going to say something else completely. And I often tend to follow my heart a lot more in life. So I would love to see Rafael Nadal <laughs> be the guy who ends it with the most Grand Slams. Do I think it's possible? Yes. Do I think it's likely? No. He likes being heartbroken. That's the, He likes being... I think that's the key there. But for me, the one thing we didn't like uh, touch on which is obviously the Masters titles as well for Novak Djokovic. He's won every single Masters event twice, including the clay ones, and all, and the other two haven't won all of them once, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. I think they're still waiting to complete the full Masters. Well, I've, I've uh, got some statistics for you, actually, Ben, for all three of these on the different tournaments. So if you look at Grand nice. Slams, this is amongst yeah. each other. So you look at just Grand Slams alone, play, this is them playing each other. So 67% yeah, yeah. of the time, Nadal's won. Uh, I think Novak Djokovic is a head-to-head 52%. Roger Federer, 32%. So Rafa wins that one in Grand Slams. Move well, on to ATP Masters. Versus each other, yeah. Okay. So you can see that they've played... Um, Rafa and Nadal's played 30 times against each other. It uh, doesn't have an individual, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. He's won 20 of them, lost 10. So that's where he gets 67%. But if you look at the Masters, this is where Djokovic is the best. He's got 56% yeah. win record against all of them. But Rafael Nadal is close in second, 51%. Federer, 41%. And then ATP finals, this is where Roger has his moment. 64% for him. Rafa, 30%. Uh, and Djokovic, 55 Well, the tour finals, though, don't forget, there's one of them who hasn't even won one of them yet. Uh, I don't know his name. Isn't it Rafael Nadal? <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> got to remember that one. Although it is on his least favoured surface, I think they should do and swap it around a bit. Give him a clay one to have a go at. Come on, a bit unfair yeah. to make it always hardcore, surely. Um, I mean, but I, I still think that, that ultimately the ultimate talking point amongst amongst casual fans, but even big fans like us three, it's still the slam race slightly about more. About weeks at it. number one as well. 
Wigs at number one is something huge as well, and 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 I know it's really important for Djokovic, and that is big. But one week away. Yeah, exactly. He's put it in about Djokovic now. He's 100%. How is it done and dusted now? I don't think Federer is going to come back and knock him off top spot anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> No, so but but I know this is important, especially for you know real tennis obsessives like us. But but you know even for us, I still think if you said you know give Djokovic another fifty weeks at number one, or give him another five slams, you know, and same with Nadal. Really, it's it's the slam race first. Then, oh yeah, if that definitely. Slam race, if that slam race is equal, then we might start looking at the others. We'll start going. Well, he didn't win ATP, or he won two slams here. And, Four there or whatever. Or the head-to-head between all the players. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but the head-to-heads are fairly, especially, I mean, uh, yeah, I sort of heard those stats there from JG and they sort of go, come and go, if you like. And we see that in slam finals that we can see how it goes. But but ultimately, it's going to be, if there's a, especially if there's a couple of slams between them, let's say, let's say Nadal ends up with 24 and Djokovic ends up with 22. That'll be enough of a buffer zone, so to speak, for Nadal fans to say, Ciao to Djokovic fans, if you like. Well, maybe. But don't forget Federer fans. They've got lots of claim to fame as well. How many... Uh, he has the record of the most semi-finals in a row, isn't it, uh, at Grand Slams. So I can't even remember the actual number of what it was now, but I remember when they announced it at one of the last Grand Slams he got to the semi of, and he was just lit. He's just always there. If he's in a Grand Slam, he's in the semi-final, and... He never drops out due to injury, ever. Even if he's injured, he finishes the match. And that is something that you cannot, like, rule out when you're talking about greatest of all time. Because it's, you're it's, talking to, yeah, about Djokovic and maybe saying, oh, I've got fake medical timeouts, potentially. There's loads of factors which you can't. it's difficult to sort of measure, which you can sort of factor into the fact that who is your greatest. It's not all necessarily who's won the most in the statistics. You can look at loads of different factors. Exactly. Uh, say if you're, a big, you're trying to tell me Federer is the greatest of all time, you can look at his record and the fact that his, his persona and the way he, he's, he's been known to smash rackets, lose his temper on court. Same with Novak Djokovic. Rafael Nadal, he's never, never smashed a single racket ever. Did you hear about why he, he's actually explained why he hasn't done it in a in a very romantic way? He's, Nadal said the other day, he said, I didn't book because I think it would be a bad uh, example for kids. Yeah. Wow. Such a nice what, guy. What a good guy. What why a, is my, my mum's favourite player? Shut up, man. Listen, listen, there were floods in, in Mallorca a couple of years ago and Rafa Nadal was there sweeping up the water. I didn't see Federer there or Djokovic. They were not there sweeping up the water. So I would add a hose pipe. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's, a, it's a great watch and it's a great debate and it'll continue being a debate for many years. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, long may, in a way, long may it continue. But I do think Djokovic is probably the only one of those three that still can put an arm's length to the the young pretenders, the next gen. We've seen them do a lot of damage to Nadal now at Slams as well as at the at the Masters and ATP uh, finals. So so they they are almost on a par with Nadal. If they if they're playing each other anywhere other than the French, you go. This is fifty fifty now. You know, Medvedev plays. Maybe Medvedev's in good form, so you favour Medvedev. Maybe maybe Nadal's got slightly better head-to-head against Tsitsipas, so you favour Nadal. But but basically, it's nip and tuck between the and Nadal. We can see it in the rankings. Nadal is vulnerable. Nadal could yeah. end, end this year at number four or number five in the world. He could also end the year at number two or even close to Djokovic. Well, I heard 
great I heard something quite so. interesting that I was listening to uh, earlier, and they were saying that uh, Rafael Nadal is famously the greatest n- number two of all time because he seems to always be number two behind Federer and the greatest, and all the greatest number two behind Djokovic. And he's not spent mm. too long as the number one. He's obviously there. He's been there for a long time, but he's famously always been sort of behind those two guys in that second spot, but still winning a lot of stuff. But just that he's always... I think he's been inside the top 10 for longer, though, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's definitely been... He's always there. But he's always... It's just for some reason, Federer and Djokovic have just sort of just been that little bit above him all the time. But he's been still picking up the slam, like the French, like, consistently. It's just I a think very... Both, both Djokovic and Federer sort of go on, a bit like Medvedev at the moment, to some extent. They both they can both go on amazing runs of, of six yeah. months of just being unbeatable. Also picking up three slams in a year. The year when yes. that could or should have happened with um, Nadal was 2009, because he wins Australia, um, but which is, gives him a chance then to win two or three slams that year, but then he gets injured. Um, he's struggling. I think it's in Madrid, and he sort of just gets past Djokovic in a match where he's picked up an injury. He then takes that into the French Open, where he ends up going out to Soddling in the fourth. Yeah, round. I know. Um, and that's don't the forget, year, really. Jo- yeah, don't forget Djokovic is obviously holding all four Grand Slams at the same time as well. So that's like something that surely needs to be taken into account into all of these things as well, because that's such a difficult thing to have. And even obviously he's only got that one French open, but he's sort of uh, to have it at that one period of uh, his career. Incredible. And that's another thing I think that we don't give enough credit to uh, these players for as well is how well, like someone like Rafa Nadal, I probably even myself, I think I wrote off his career about 10 years ago through through knee injury and the fact he had those real knee problems i didn't see him even come playing tennis again and the fact he's come back to the top of the game is such testament to him and Djokovic had his problems as well obviously federer not so many problems but Federer's having them now though and that's why it comes like it's an interesting topic is what do people think he can do when he comes back me and ben Mm. have both said that we actually do believe he could maybe nick a, a wimbledon but that's more hopeful more than anything. We know <laughs> yes. you don't think, you're not so keen on that. But do you think we're going to see him sort of uh, compete in, a, in sort of Masters and in Grand Slams? Is he going to be thereabouts, like always, quarterfinals, semifinals? I mean, I, I think nicking a Wimbledon is a, is a great expression because I think that's really the only way that he probably could. I mean, we did see a period where Djokovic and Nadal were sort of off form, sort of 16, 17, 15 to some extent, and Nadal got injured at the, at the Aussie Open, where, Nadal, where Federer was there just sweeping up because there was no one else to win these slaps. But that's not the case anymore. That even yeah. if even if even if Djokovic and Nadal both have an off Wimbledon, I think Medvedev could well be a threat there this year, and um, and maybe yes. since the past too. Um, so, um, so yeah. Andy Murray. Um, <laughs> oh, it's, it's a bit sad in a way. What's going on I know. at the moment? Um, what do you make of it yeah. all? I wanted to pick your brain on uh, Andy Murray really and his sort of coming back from injury. I mean, it's really super sad. One probably the person I've cheered on the most on the tour over recent years due to us not having we only had Tim Henman and as soon as he disappeared we had a sort of hiatus and then it was Andy Murray and it was just willing him towards the first Grand Slam then towards the first Wimbledon and just super sad now ever since he had that documentary out I just feel like I've brought me to nearly tears mate watching that it yeah. was horrible yeah. so sad but what do you think of his uh, odds of 
him coming back to the uh, top of the game. What do you reckon his ceiling is now? I mean, he'll he'll get a wild card at Wimbledon if, if nothing else. So yeah, yeah, he'll be there, I guess. Uh, regarding the whole thing, hey, listen, if he wants to keep playing and and the people keep want to watch him and 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 you know he did win that tournament. Was it where was it? he won it? Antwerp. Antwerp. Was it about yeah, fifteen months ago. Yeah, yeah. So. There's there's something from that, and he beats Zverev, of course, in the Cincinnati Open. Yeah. So yeah. he'll be clutching at he's clutching at those, and they're not bad things to clutch at, but he's really clutching at them. And and yeah, um, I, I think the best. This is maybe really. Um, and hey, listen, this is another thing you can play back in a year or so's time. <laughs> best, <laughs> yeah. best best he can hope for is a second week at, at Wimbledon, maybe. But that's yeah. really. Going on a crest of a wave, and yeah, we're not going to be playing that one back. I agree 100%. I don't think that's, <laughs> oh, God, that's, that's right. happening. Harsh, JG yeah. is, uh, but you saw him at the US Open, he gave us a, something to cheer about. At least that two sets to love come back against uh, I'm talking Nishioka. more recent though, Ben. I watched him last night, was it last know, night against Jurisimov? And yeah. it was close to being a bagel, to be honest. Jurisimov, he's we know he's a good player inside the top 100, but. He should not be in the same league as a Jurisimov. No offence to him. You'd expect him to be able to beat him comfortably. It's not, not going to happen for him. At the end of the day, he's got a metal hip. Um, and I just don't see... What, he's 29 years old, I think, Andy Murray? No, no he's 33. 33 or 34? 33, 34. He's older, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's but, not going to... Sorry. By the way, what's... Listen, even more importantly than anything we've discussed already, whether it be Grand Slam races or, or majors or Federer coming back, How's Diego Schwartzman getting on at the Diego Schwartzman Open that's designed for Diego Schwartzman to win? <laughs> in his own country? I mean, Can't lose, guys. If you say to Diego Schwartzman, listen, can you design a tournament? Okay? He's going to go, okay, let's have it in Argentina. Let's have it on play. <laughs> And let's have a bunch of nobodies and a couple of sort of 50 <laughs> oh, so, oh, No, <laughs> Well, we're not having like, it. We're big challenger fans, John. You can't be calling them. Can't be doing that to <laughs> the, these challenger players. They're yeah, ATP it's, players it's, now. It, I mean, I know it's Cordoba. Is it called the Cordoba Open? Is it? Or, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, it should just be called the Diego Schwartzman, um, you know, exhibition. Listen, we did the bracket, and we both had Schwartzman to win. I think yeah. everyone had Schwartzman to Chichinato win. Chichinato I mean, next, I'm, mate. It's a big I'm match, being, yeah, Okay, I'm, I'm being a bit harsh, but uh, is there anyone in the top 20 there? Uh, Benoit Pair? No, he's outside now, isn't he? Uh... Yeah, but Benoit Pair is not like... If you could <laughs> pick any player who's higher ranked and put him in the tournament, then Schwartzman would have picked him as well. He's just gone for a holiday, I think, Benoit <laughs> 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 Benoit Pair. Don't blame him, you know. Don't blame him. I don't think he's gone for any other reason. He's going to be in those speedos again, uh, posted on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's just fallen off the wagon. He had, I think he had Corona, but I don't think that's any excuse for those terrible results that he's been having. He had a good match against Fanini in the uh, ATP Cup, which was entertaining. It was half terrible tennis and half great tennis, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I think he can like produce great tennis if he really wants to. Doesn't ever looks like he really wants to though. He's just nonchalant. He's, regarding upcoming tournaments, what it, Rotterdam looks like it's got an amazing lineup. But the, I mean, Rafa's on the on the bill at the moment for Rotterdam um, at the beginning of next month. Yes. Do you think he'll? Do you think he'll play? Uh, it's not ball, isn't it? I'm not so sure. Um, but I don't know. It's with these. It's hard to really know what's going to be happening. I think we're in such weird times as well. It's not really been a normal tennis cycle for the last year or so. So. 
I'm just going to take it as, as it comes. It's all a bit of a mess, but it would be it's great to a see a, a really strong field. But quickly, just to go back to Cordoba, because there's a few players <laughs> I want to sort of point out to you, John, right now. Okay. Which I think okay, you need okay. to watch out for them. School them. Okay. Tiago Montero, he's a very dangerous one, uh, Brazilian okay. guy. I think he yep. could be a bit threatening. Watch out against him if he, if he faces uh, Schwartzman. He's not, certainly not an easy one. And then okay. two players we're playing right now as we speak. Correa, yeah. Serendolo. They're both Argentinian, back in so, Argentina, obviously. Close that match. And it's a close, close match between them. Can't really separate. Whoever wins out of them, I think I, Correa, Schwartzman will handle quite comfortably. But Serendolo is the surprise package. Young Argentinian guy, and he could yeah. be dangerous. He's the new Schwartzman Argentina. Well, mate, he's okay. definitely... Uh, yeah, you want to keep your eye out for that guy. Uh, he's got a brother out there. Don't confuse him with Juan Manuel uh, Serendolo. This guy's only lost one, two, th- no, one, two, three, four, about four matches in his last about 30 or 25 matches. So he's on a bit of a bit of a run, all on pretty much all on clay courts. He had a little bit of an Australian Open qualifying on the hub. He's predominantly clay. Really, really good player, though. Uh, keep your eye out for him. He's 135th in the world at the minute, and he's playing, well, fellow Argentinian I mean- Correa. These are some nice stories, but I don't think you've won me over with thinking that Schwarzman would be a trophy. Well, we've all got Schwarzman as well. We'll be honest. Yeah, if it's yeah, big yeah. ass, but just watch out for some of these young Argentinians and Montero. A bit of experience. He's a bit of a fighter. Uh, we've seen him. We watched him against uh, Carlos Alcaraz Garcia recently, mm. and he beat him quite comfortably. Uh, and he's a dangerous guy, this Montero. I, I see I see the Rotterdam thing, you know, obviously going ahead and, and Probably most of these players. I mean, I would think it's about now that you're going to have to pull out of, of Rotterdam if you're going yeah. to be mm. pulling out because it's supposed to Definitely. be starting, I think, on Monday, I think, or Tuesday. Yeah, so, March 1st. So, so. March 1st, exactly. So um, hopefully that, you know, goes ahead with the field that they say they will. It's it's Miami that's probably the one that most will probably slack off, I would have thought, which is at the end of March. I mean, I know Florida's got a slightly different attitude to many parts of the world regarding the virus. And It'll be packed stands there. Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, you've got Australia, you've got two-week lockdown and staying in the hotel and not being out of leave, and, and, and Florida's taken a very different attitude towards the virus. So, But I still don't see Miami being the normal Miami, if you like, in terms of the players that are going. And then, no. then we're looking at, how do you see the clay court season going? How do you see, I mean, Djokovic has already spoken about how he's probably going to not do so many Masters now in the future, and, I guess he'll probably do two of the three. I mean, what I say, need three, to. I mean, yeah, I, I think he might do Rome, given that he won it last year. And yeah. Blah, 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 blah. He'll probably Good do one, Monte that one. Carlo. Rome, Monte Carlo, and, and, and the, the French is what? That's a, a I'm excited to see Monte Carlo back. That's probably one of the tournaments where I'm really missing. Um, obviously, I mean, alongside the Wimbledon the, as well. The That's image. the big one. Yeah, it's, the such image a, it's of Monte so Carlo. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, whereas I see Rafa still going for on clay, if, if only to. Uh, he doesn't need the ATP points, but it's still nice to fend off. You don't want to be going in in strange halves of draws where you've you've got to go through two, three, four big players to get to Grand Slam final. So he's going to want to stay in that top four at the very least this year. And a good clay court season should should just about do that. So I'm guessing Rafa will do all three of yeah. Monte Carlo, um, Rome, and, and Madrid. Um, yeah, it's a lot to look forward to. Um, I think team as well. Hopefully, we see team there because it'd be interesting to see his battle against, say, a, a Rafa, Rafa Nadal. 
Yeah, and I think the team thing is, is something we mustn't forget. I mean, I know we've got used to him doing very well on hard courts, but I still think Clay is his best surface. I think he went into that French Open just jaded. And I think what we saw with team at the French Open is one of the reasons Rafa didn't go to New York. I, I really think yeah, that was definitely. something. Listen, Nadal was talking about certain things of going on in the world and blah, 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 and he's absolutely right to say that. But we all know if New York was Clay, he's there. You know, yeah, New York was a he's there every day. He's there two weeks before, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, his reasoning makes sense, but he was really thinking, I need to put my eggs all in the French Open basket. Um, I do wonder if the woman who received the tennis ball in the neck from, um, from Djokovic, oh, she's going yeah. to be a future godmother to Rafa Nadal's kids, no doubt. Um, Probably. That certainly, that certainly kept him away in terms of the uh, Grand Slam race to some extent. But it's, uh, it's going to... He would have uh, won that. Yeah, 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 he would have done, yeah. I, I, I think, think this, so. yeah, this very, especially the way we saw the final. I mean, yeah, it was a very exciting final, but when we talk about levels, mm. it was really <laughs> one mile yeah, away. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I know. It was exciting and dramatic, but it was nowhere near a, a Djokovic, Nadal, or Federer kind of level, so. No. But no, hopefully we get, hopefully we get a good season this year. Obviously, this time last year was basically when it all, you know, like a souffle just sort of went down. And, yeah. um, and hopefully it's it's something... I mean, what's the score with Wimbledon? Are we looking at fans at the moment? doesn't work. I think, well, so. I think so. Ben, Ben's quite negative on the whole thing. Not, I think mate, we're going to see fans. I just say I'm negative. All I follow is what the things that pop up on my screen from the news. You said... Yeah, what did, what you did we say me, about the thing with news? Basically, Ben's a negative. He's a negative person with news. So his laptop knows it. So every day when he's working, <laughs> he'll have news stories come up, man stabbed. Man poisoned. Man eats Got his it. wife. Man. So he has all of these stuff what pops up. Yeah, yeah, and obviously yeah. he's going to have no fans at Wimbledon pop up. On mine, they've got festivals at Wimbledon happening. Because oh, God. We, I, think, I think there's going to be fans. I think there's not going to be a maximum capacity, but I really do believe it. The, the Prime Minister of the UK, they've said that they're coming out of lockdown potentially for June. Uh, he's set an end date. Yeah, and there's going to be no said, restrictions. They came out straight after he released that and they said there was all these news articles saying... I think he's just made, he's really given people far too much hope there with that. And uh, he's probably just, I don't know, he keeps building everybody up to let them down. At least build them up slowly so that there's not a big, like, oh, no, ben, every time there's... We need something to cheer about in the UK. We need something not to look something forward to. Cheer- to- if it's, it's going to happen. To cheer about if it doesn't ha- yeah, but if it doesn't happen, it's, it's not something happening. to cheer about. All he does is gets your hopes up, and then you go, oh, so in I'm May, and everyone's like, May's coming, May's coming, and then he doesn't me, happen. It's happening. We're going to have fans there, um, and I'm going to be is, the first fan in. I'm the first one in. Mate, this well, you're... Que- this is turning into question time more than... Exactly, before. exactly. Well, I think... I think we can't get, we're going to end up just rowing about pandemic stuff, which we don't want to do. I think we should wrap it up there. I think it's been an awesome <laughs> yeah. Uh, podcast. Uh, yeah, it really has. Really appreciate, uh, yeah, having you on, John. Uh, did you want to promote uh, any bits you've got going on right now? Honestly, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, uh, I'm basically doing my day job, which is, as I say, working for, for Deutsche Welle in Germany. But um, I had a book out last year, but it has nothing to do with tennis. So oh, nice. unless, unless there's some big football fans out there that want to buy even the defeats, which is probably the best football book ever written. Uh, and I wrote it. So you could buy that. Um, but uh, I, I do, I do have a plan for a tennis book, but um, it's still in its infancy at the moment. So I, I can't even really talk about it too much, but I do, I do have an idea uh, for a tennis book. And if it does come to fruition, I'll be um, 
banging down the Game to Love podcast door once again for, uh, for an appearance. <laughs> no, that's mate. awesome, mate. Honestly, thank you so much for coming on. It was really interesting talking to you. Uh, me and Ben, I'm sure we both really enjoyed it. Um, it, was, it was brilliant, honestly. Hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Shall we press the button? Yeah, Hold we'll on. press the button and let you out with the button. <laughs> we'll give you the button uh, outro as well. Cool. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming on, mate, and uh, hopefully we'll speak soon. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.